So let me ask you a question as we start this morning. Um, what kind of movies do you like? Somebody just shout out. What kind of movies do you like? Chat with us online? Action. Action. Okay, good, good. I'm, a, I'm an epic guy. Who, who said comedy? All right, yeah. Got to laugh, right, Kathy? Gotta, we have to laugh a little bit. Um, as you're chatting with us, let us know what kind of music, or what kind of music, what kind of movies you like. Uh, it, I'm an epic uh, kind of guy. I, I love the conflict. The stuff that happens in those movies where you have a hero or heroine, and they're, they're like fighting for a cause, you know, um, and, and, and just trying to like die hard. It's like one of the best Christmas movies ever. Everybody agree with that? Yeah. You know, why that made, I guess because it was a Christmas season, but, but it's like, you know, you can't celebrate Christmas unless you watch Die Hard. Well, I like those epic movies. So Patty and I, we've been spending some time during the pandemic at night and maybe on the weekends watching stuff on Netflix. Anybody else using Netflix? Or just, yeah, everybody? Uh, yeah, I think we've, you know, we, we've been watching everything. And, and, and I don't think we're going to watch anymore because we've watched everything on Netflix, right? We've seen it all. I mean, there's, there's nothing more to watch. But those epic battles, those epic movies where we're good and evil, hero, heroine, fighting, you know, when, when good is winning, they're doing great and, and things are prospering and well. When evil comes in, it kind of turns its tide and all of a sudden the hero, heroine um, is, is not winning and they're looking for that inner strength. They're looking for that courage to, to do something even, even greater from that point of view. And then we find out that in those epic battles as well, that the hero and heroines, they're also fighting inside of themselves because that fight is, do I stop what I'm doing and allow myself to just succumb to the, to the, uh, to the darkness, okay, light and darkness? Do I just succumb to the darkness and allow myself just to give up or do I fight hard and win and go into the light? So there's that, there's that theme of light and darkness uh, that we see in those kind of movies, and I love that. And, and those are the movies that remind me of the Advent season. You know, here we've got candles lit, and you, you see a Christmas tree. Uh, what do you guys think about this Christmas tree? Bobby Van Dyne made that for us. Uh, man, that is, that is a gorgeous tree. Um, it, it's a great tree. I, I was teasing Bobby a little bit about, like on Christmas vacation, when Cousin Eddie goes over and touches the wooden thing, and, but we're not going to do that today, Okay. Uh, but anyway, so, so light and darkness, good and evil, those, that's kind of thing. So the Advent season reminds us of that, and we, we celebrate Advent in the Christmas season with lights. If you've ever wondered why do you put lights on your Christmas tree, why, why do you put lights on your house, it's kind of that metaphor, it's kind of that, that, that transitional piece for us that says that I want to come out of the darkness into the light, and I want to be a person of light, and I want to represent all that light represents, like the warmth and the, the love and the coziness and, and just the, the direction that comes forward with those kinds of things. Well, there are two primary reasons why the Scriptures talk about darkness. There's a couple of metaphors, I should say, that, that Scripture uses. The first one is, uh, one has to do with evil. So whenever the Scripture talks about darkness, and, and, and when it deals with that, it's talking about evil, evil that comes into the world, evil that we inflict upon one another, the things that we do to each other just because we want to do that to each other, and we don't care what the other one is, we're just going to inflict evil that comes upon that. And the second idea of um, of darkness comes in the gloom, the doom, the hopelessness that so many of us might feel during this holiday season. And, and as I talk to a lot of you, as I even look at my own soul, um, there, there's kind of this um, up and down, kind of this fluidity of how we feel certain days. Are you with me? And, and wondering, you know, can we, can we get through the struggle? Can we deal with kind of the sadness of what this pandemic has done and, and just kind of the change of life? So, so that's the other part of darkness that we see. And during this holiday season, so many of us, we experience that. We experience the, the personal darkness that comes during the holidays. 
But I want to start with darkness is evil. I'm going to go transition us through a couple of things today. So let's look at darkness as evil. And, and, and that's really not hard to find. I mean, all you have to do is, you know, turn on the news or listen to the news or, you know, check something out on, on um, you know, YouTube or something. And we, and we see all the bad that's happening. We see, you know, uh, parents that are like harming their own children. Uh, we see school shootings. Thank God we haven't had any school shootings as of late. We, we see things that are just like, you know, devastation that's happening not only in our nation but in our world, but it's happening in our neighborhoods. And so we don't have to look very far to see that. And, and at the end of the day, uh, many of us are asking, you know, what kind of world is this? What kind of world do we live in and what, what, what makes sense from some of these things? And, and we act cruel sometimes on, on one another and we, we act upon our fears. And because we're afraid of each other and because we're afraid of the things that can happen, we, it generates a kind of an indifference towards others that, that I just don't care that you're suffering or I don't care that, that you're in a struggle. I don't care that you're in a battle, that indifference that comes. And, and all of a sudden as human beings, we're, we're just not sure what to do with that. And it just builds up inside of us. And, and if we're not careful it starts affecting our hearts. And, and that's kind of where evil no longer is something that's out there, but evil is something that's in here. It's in our own heart. And we, and we struggle with that. And that, that's what reminds us that we're broken, that, that no matter how good we want to think we are, that, that we are broken, and no matter what, that, that we have to fight every day. We have to be a hero. We have to be a heroine. We have to fight every day that we don't succumb to the darkness and that the darkness cannot prevail in our lives. So we have to choose every day to pursue the light. We have to choose every day to pursue the leads of where the light is, where God is calling us, beckoning us to be the better self that God created us to be. Seeing that, believing that, and even in those times of doubt, trusting that God is calling us to be that kind of person, especially in today when we find ourselves dealing again with evil empires. Let me uh, quickly give you some thoughts on on Bible prophecy today. You know, some people are like, prophecy, you know, prediction of the future, end times, eschatology, and all those things. No, Bible prophecy is, is basically a, a message that's given of hope in a certain time that, that's been recorded in the scriptures, and the people go back to that scripture generation after generation after generation, and they relive it in their context. So I want to take us into the, the life of, of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus came into the world. 700 years, and there were struggles, and he's writing to the, the people of Israel. He's writing to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom. He's writing to people of Israel, the northern kingdom, and he's trying to help them cope with and deal with the challenges that are besetting them during his time and during his current day. And he writes these words in chapter 9. He says, nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Now, I'm going to share with you in a little bit why they were in distress, and I kind of want us to put ourselves in the story, and that's really important in Scripture that we don't just see this as a historical thing, but that we place ourselves in the scripture and we live it out in our context today. So, so think of yourself in this message of hope. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom and doom for you who's living in distress. Uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. If you found yourself walking in darkness, you will see a great light, he says. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. When something, when it says a light has dawned, it translates into like it has been birthed, that, that something new has come, that it's this discovery that's there. And Isaiah is talking about this great light that comes with this promise to overpower the darkness is what he's trying to get at. So, so imagine 
in his time, in 740 BC, a lot of things were happening in Israel. A lot of challenges were coming. And at this time, he was writing to the very people that were experiencing the difficulty and the challenges and the problems that were going on during this particular time. And at that time, he's warning the people and he's saying to them, if you just trust God, if you follow God, if you just live a life of holiness, if you walk the way that God is calling you to walk, that God promises to bless you, that God promises to care for you. And in the Old Testament, the the verbiage used was God promises to protect you. And protection was was really important back in the ancient world because they were always victims of of a greater power that was coming down upon them. So Isaiah is saying if you you follow God and you walk in God's ways, that God promises, God promises to protect you. And the people uh, will see a great thing will come. And he says, and if you follow those commandments that, that have been given to you, good things will come. But then he says, here's the warning. If you, if you follow the pagan gods, if you, if you ditch God, if you say that, that God is not the way of salvation, if you chase after some other God, if you trust in something else, here's what you need to know. God will not offer his protection over you. And for somebody in this time of 740 BC, this would have been a devastating message that God is removing as Revelation, John writes in Revelation, God is removing his lampstand from the church or his lampstand from your life. And he says, you will not be protected. Now, the interesting thing is, is it didn't take clairvoyance for Isaiah to see this. I mean, it wasn't like he was looking in a crystal ball, like some think that the historical figure Nostradamus was looking in and saw all these things happening. Isaiah didn't do that, because here's what was going on. There was a great army that was assimilating called the Assyrian Empire, And they were in the region of what we call today Iraq and and Syria. And they were in that particular region. And they were making their way, you know, just as all get out, ready to attack Israel. And they were coming down and they were bringing that upon them. And some of you might ask, well, well, who are the Assyrians? I mean, who are they? They ruled for 1,900 years. They were a powerful, powerful empire. And for 1,900 years, they ruled in the Middle East, and, and sometimes they were conquering, and they were murdering, and they were, you know, robbing people and destroying lives. And other times, uh, depending upon how things were going and what leader was in power, they might have had some more sensitivity to that. But here what we see is Isaiah knows that this is coming, and he realizes that God's people have a choice. You will either follow God no matter what happens or you're going to follow something else. If you follow God no matter what happens, God's promise is he will protect you. And I'll tell you what that means. If you don't follow God, you won't have God's protection. And the people are struggling as to what they should do. See, in Isaiah's time, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. It was the northern kingdom, which was Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And, and there was a time outside of the reign of David, David united both kingdoms, but now we're seeing there's this divisiveness that's there in these kingdoms. So the Assyrian Empire comes in and they take over the northern kingdom of Israel. Now when someone conquered another nation in, in, in the early times of what we're seeing here in early history, is they would go in and they would haul people out of their land and take them back to the far off land of where they were the conquerors. So they took them back into the land of Assyria. They took them out of Israel. Now imagine, so they're, they're, they're stripping them out of their land. They're taking away their religion. They're taking away their temple worship, which was central to who they were. It'd be like coming in and shutting down all the churches and saying, there's no religion anymore in America. 
And, and so they were coming and they were scattering people. And they, they made the men and women marry outside of their culture. You know, God said, you know, don't intermarry, but make sure that you're marrying within the, 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 Israel, the, the Jewish heritage to, to keep those covenants at that time. And the Assyrians were saying, we want you to marry other people. Now all of a sudden the people are following false gods. They've forgotten who Yahweh is. And they've come under siege. They've been taken away from their land. And you can imagine during that time, as Isaiah is speaking to them, he's saying to them, the people will someday have peace. The people will someday have a light. The light is coming. The people that are living in the great darkness trust that the light is coming. And they believed in that. So Isaiah goes on in chapter 9. I think it's verses uh, 3 and 4. He talks about the bloodied boots of the soldiers. And he says that the wars will stop. And even those bloodied boots of the soldiers, the captives, the ones that are taking over the land, they'll be burned and a new peace will come. But then he goes on in verse 6 and he writes this. He says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of what? The Prince of Peace. Come on, follow with me here. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now, scholars, as they've researched this and as they've looked into this, you know, a lot of us will say, well, he's, he's talking about Jesus. But as scholars have looked in that time of Isaiah's writing, they believe he's writing about Hezekiah, who is the crown prince who will ultimately be the reformer uh, during that particular time. But what happens is Isaiah dies, and, and all of a sudden we find out that the Assyrians are no longer in power because now an even greater empire has come, the Babylonians. And in 586 BC, the Babylonians come in and they conquer the Assyrians and they take over all of Israel, the northern and southern kingdom. And a greater power, and all this is happening and the people uh, find themselves back to the words of Isaiah. Behold, those living in darkness have seen a great light, for unto us a child is born. And they're saying there, there has to be hope for us. That in the midst of all of this devastation, hope must be there. There must be something that will ignite this hope, this renewal for us and make it all possible. Isaiah promises renewal. He promises hope. And he promises that in the midst, through his biblical prophecy, that God, time and time and time again, will comfort and care for his people. 200 years later, the Greeks step in. And the Greeks now, they come in and they destroy um, Babylon, and, and, and they start dealing with that. And, and again, the people go back to that Isaiah 9-2 passage. And finally, the Romans come in during the time of Jesus, and, and the Romans come in, and, and all of a sudden now they're the conquering persons. And we read in the life of Jesus, and we read in the, the New Testament, and we read in our scriptures about how time and time again there was a call for hope in the midst of the challenges that dealt even in the time of Jesus. They're saying maybe this king, maybe this king, maybe this next king, maybe there'll be a king who will bring peace and who will bring freedom to us. And, and that's how Bible prophecy works. It's fulfilled over and over and over again. It's not a one and done thing. It's constantly moving from generation to generation to season to season. Matthew comes on the scene. 
Matthew is one of the disciples who walks with Jesus. Matthew is one of the, the eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus. Matthew, he begins to write his gospel about 30 or so years after Jesus' death. So he writes his gospel in like, like the early 40s, and he's beginning to talk about you know, what Jesus did that, that he's remembering and he's recalling that when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, that the Holy Spirit came down. He heard this voice saying, this is my son whom I'm most pleased Obey him, follow him. He is Christ. He is my son. And Matthew gets to this point and he's going like, Jesus, Jesus now is the king. Jesus will bring the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. And he begins to see that Jesus is the light of the world. Now, now how, did, um, how did Jesus bring light into the world? Think about that for a second. The region after Jesus was baptized by John, he goes back to the region of Naphtali which if we go back to the Isaiah 9 passage, we know that that's a lot of where Isaiah was writing about, the things happening in that valley. That's the region of Galilee. And, and so what we find is Jesus goes there. How is Jesus being the light of the world? He's bringing sight to the blind. He's bringing a voice and language to those who can't speak. He's, he's opening the ears of the deaf. He's healing the lame. He's driving out evil spirits of people that have been succumbed and overcome by that. Jesus is raising people from the dead. And he is bringing about uh, an important message. He's saying, listen to me. God is mercy. Listen to me. I bring forgiveness. God is forgiveness. He's saying, listen to me. The challenges that you've been fraught with in life are coming to an end. That all the things that have embodied throughout history, I am the light of the world. And Jesus proclaims that truth. I scratched my head as I was thinking about all this. And I was wondering, you know, I thought, started thinking about, let me go back and map the reign of the Assyrian Empire, the reign of the Babylonian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, all of these empires. And you know what I, you know what I concluded? All of these evil empires came to an end. They didn't last forever. There, even though people were struggling in the midst of when that empire was in power, even though it was oppression, even though they were struggling and powerless in that what we find out is that whether it's four years, 10 years, 50 years, or 100 years, it doesn't matter, 1,900 years, that evil empires do not last. The scripture promises that they will come to an end and God will remedy and God will bring hope to his people once again. You know, at Candlelight Christmas, through, the, through our history, and if you've ever been to church in Candlelight Christmas, Christmas Eve, we use the lighting of candles you know, this year, because of the pandemic and because of social distancing and all, we're, we're not able to light candles this year, but, but we have a, another tool to show a light, and I'll show that to you in a second. But we traditionally and historically would light candles as a representation of Jesus as a light in the world. So we gather on Christmas Eve, and we come into a space, or we're watching uh, via live stream, and, and we're, we're entering into that moment, and, and, we, and we listen to songs that talk about the coming King, we, we read scriptures that talk about the birth of Jesus. We hear a, a message about the, the birth of Jesus. And, and, you know, yes, every year they tell me it's got to be nine minutes or less, Pastor. And you know me, I, I keep under that, right? Noel. <laughs> so, we, so we find out in that, so we, so we talk about the message. And then afterwards, we, we begin to get to these sacred words and I, and I walk over, and, and I take a candle, and, and, and the only candle that's lit that night is the Christ candle, and we call for all the lights to come down in the room, and it's pitch black. And, and if you've ever sat in a dark room um, with a bunch of people, what happens? 
You hear shuffling of the feet. You hear nervousness. Some people start giggling. Some people cry. Kids cry when the lights go out. You know, we, we hear coughing. I mean, it seems like the coughing just echoes in the room when the lights go out. And people are unsure. And it's almost like everybody's saying, would you hurry up and get through with this? Let's get back to the light. Can you turn the lights back on? We want to see light. We don't like to be in the darkness. And so there's that challenge because we're a people of light. And then, and then so I take the candle and I light it off the Christ candle. And, and what we do from here is we come and then I, I walk us through the words written in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the very beginning. And the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then I get to this next piece. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. And that's an important part that, that we have to understand is the darkness did not overcome it. So, so the, in, the, in the candlelight service, this year we're, we're using um, this, this little light here, okay? And, and we'll be holding these as a, as a symbol of our light. And so when we hold this light, what we're really saying is, is that, that I don't want to be a child of darkness anymore. I, I want to I go into the light. I want to live in the light. I want to be like Jesus. I want to live into the love of God. I want to forgive people. I want to be forgiven. I want to ask people to forgive me when I've offended them. I want to be Jesus in the world. I want to help feed people that are hungry. I want to right the wrongs of injustice. And I want to be a part of what the kingdom is because I don't want to live in darkness anymore. And that's why we light the candle. And then we sing Silent Night in, in some of our services. And then, and then we get to the point where we're focusing on that. And then we sing Joy to the World. The Lord has come. The Savior reigns. And we feel triumphant as the church and individually that we are part of the light. So that's what the scriptures have to say about evil and darkness. So we've talked about evil and darkness. And, and now I want to talk about the, the darkness that, that comes in that we, that we bring upon one another. It's words that I say to you, words that you say to me, that, that, that you, you, you say or do things to me or I do to you or we do to each other or others so that we can like have one up on them. We want to be nasty and evil and we want to gossip and we want to tear people down with our words and we want to tell people all the faults that we see in that person ignoring our own. And that's the other part of darkness that the scripture talks about is how we wrestle with that. And let me tell you, you can't sit here and listen and say, I never wrestle with that kind of darkness in my life. You do. I do. And that's the darkness that needs the light. Because Jesus calls us into the light. And he says, no longer be after each other. No longer be trying to harm each other. No longer try to put the other one down. But let the imago Dei, the image of God, shine through. And live into that promise. And that's why John, the apostle, that's why John wrote this letter, probably was to the church of Ephesus in his first letter, 1 John. And he's recognizing the struggle. You know, we, we, come, we come to church and we say, man, if our church was just the Acts 2 church, you know, there's churches that, that build that. We are an Acts 2 church. And it's almost like we want to lift that up as some sense of perfection. 
that that's the ultimate goal is to be an Acts 2 church. But what we find out is John said, wait a minute, the, the, the first church, the Acts 2 church that we venerate had problems. And he writes to them, likely the church in Ephesus, and he says this in 1 John 2, 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or his sister is still in the darkness. We look at that and say, well, pastor, I don't hate anybody. Hate, that's such a devastating word. So, so I'm off the hook because I don't hate them. Boy, I sure dislike them greatly. I don't hate them, but they're a, you know, blah, 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 blah kind of person. No, no. The moment we cross the line, the moment I to you or you to me or we to each other, the moment we devalue one another and however it is, we're demonstrating hate biblically. And John saw that in the early church. And he said, we got to get this right. Because Jesus didn't die for this. Jesus isn't the light of the world for this to happen, to be who we are as followers of the way, Christians. He said something has to change. And he says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother, his sister, is still in the darkness. You see, even the first century Christians struggled with this. And it begs the question for you and me this morning. Are you walking in the light or are you walking in the darkness? Which one are you walking? You see, daily we wrestle with this. It's at the core of who we are. It's, it's, in, it's in that it, it wants to just burst out and it wants to devastate our lives and a lot of that comes by deception of thoughts that we have. And, and I'm one who does believe that there is evil. I am a pastor who does believe that there is a devil. I am one of a pastor, many pastors don't teach that. I believe that there is a constant rub of good and evil in our world. And we must overcome the evil by being in the light of Jesus Christ. You see, there's sometimes even in my life, the struggle is so strong to pull toward the darkness that I find myself enticed to do it. Maybe you do too. And, and there's something about that draw, that, that hearing that voice, it's okay, go ahead and do that. It's okay, grab that fruit. It's okay to look at that other tree. It's okay to do that. Nobody's watching. And yet God says, walk in the light. And I found in my own life, and I probably you found in yours too, that when we have that battle going on within us, that the light begins to shine even brighter, especially as Jesus is in our life. And all of a sudden, that shift of, of wanting to, to parlay into the darkness or to be a part of that darkness, to partake into that, all of a sudden, it's an overwhelming draw to push the darkness down and to move into the light. And then all of a sudden, we begin to see and believe and live and say, I don't want to be in the darkness. I don't want to live that way. I want to live in the light. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a child of God. I want to be a light of the world and to move into that direction. The dark cannot overcome the light. And here's the last reference of darkness in the scripture. It's not evil, and it's not things that you say or feel or want to do to other people that aren't the right thing. This is where I think a lot of us are today, is this third one. The pandemic has 
destroyed a lot of people. It's taken a lot of lives. It's caused many people who had set themselves up for a life that they could live to help and do the work of God. It's, it's caused things to happen where people have lost jobs or families have been torn apart or there's been conversations of political nature that maybe have come in play and, and it's just kind of ripped the fabric of families apart. The, the pandemic, this time we live in is a difficult time and this is where the third piece of darkness comes. It's when we feel that we're at our lowest point. Some will call it depression. Some will call it whatever, but when we get to that lowest point, when we no longer want to fight to win, when we no longer want to raise our head to say, show me the light, when we just want to throw in the towel, that's the third part of where it is. But see, the scriptures make us a promise, and that is that the darkness will not overcome the light. And even though you walk through a season of darkness, God will not abandon you. When you don't see God, when you can't feel God, when you don't hear God, if you've ever been there, you know what I mean? You still have to believe there is God. And I want to challenge all of us today in those moments when, when we're really struggling is to muster enough faith that in the midst of feeling so outside of the grip of God, I just want to encourage you just to, to reach back and, and just say, God, I, I don't know what I'm going to find, but I believe if I just reach back to you, something will happen and allow God to transform your life. When I read the words of Psalm 23, I get to the passage, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, when, when we look at the Hebrew, the original Hebrew for that, it doesn't say when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but it says when I walk through the valley of the darkest times of my life. That's the original translation of Hebrew. When you walk through the darkest valley in the times of your life, that's when you have to trust that the light of Christ is there. That's when you have to lean into that no matter how bad things are, that God will come through in truth. And it's not that, hey, I have faith, so I won't, I'll be exempt from things happening, or, or I want to believe, so therefore I'm a Christian, so nothing bad. It doesn't say that. It says when you walk through the darkest times of your life, his rod and his staff comfort and protect. Jesus is the incarnate love, God in the flesh, and I love what Jesus said as they were all gathered there at his ascension. It's found in, in, in the final parts of Matthew 28. And he said, I think it's verse 26. He says, I am with you always until the end of time. I am with you always. The light cannot be put out by the darkness. The darkness cannot cover the light. Jesus gives us the hope the hope that ignites the days ahead.